Matthew 10, 21 and 22. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Praise the Lord. Let's all just stand and sing standing on the promises on that one. Stop being a culture warrior, Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, why would Jesus say such a thing apart from the fact that it's true? Well, here's the reason why we hear those words in Matthew's gospel this morning. And let me give you an, anal an analogy. Most of the people who drop out of walking the entire length of the Appalachian Trail, that's right, there will be a reference to the Appalachian Trail, probably to my dog, C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton, every Sunday, now you know. You can write my sermons for me, I'll just show up and preach them. So, but most of those who drop out of walking the entire length of the Appalachian Trail do so within the first 70 miles without ever leaving Georgia. Why is that? Why would that happen? Well, it's because they had unreasonable expectations. They did not know what to expect. Like, they didn't know to expect Blood Mountain. There's a reason they call it Blood Mountain. When you go up over it and come back down, it feels like you've shed blood. And as our Bishop Alan Hawkins says, he says this, Unmet expectations, unmet expectations equal pain. And so, that's why in the gospel lesson today, Jesus is reorienting the expectations of the disciples. He is about to send out to their own community as missionaries. They need to hear these things because if they are not properly oriented, they'll be like those hikers who don't know what to expect and give up before they even walk out of Georgia on the Appalachian Trail. They're likely to give up when difficulty arises. And reading this passage today, I can't help but thinking about a quote from that master of the one-liner, G.K. Chesterton. Okay, that's accomplished for the morning. We've got that one out. But he said that he did say this. He said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. We need to hear this passage and be constantly reminded of Jesus's words here because we probably harbor some expectations that run contrary to the reality of being a follower of Jesus Christ in this moment of history in our cultural context today. And based on this passage, we need to have our, our expectations reoriented in three basic areas. We need to have them our expectations about approval reoriented. We need to have our expectations about fear reoriented. And we need to have our expectations about loyalty reoriented. We need to have them brought in line with the gospel. So let's just start right there where Jesus reorients us to seek the right approval. Jesus reorients us to seek the right approval. Deep down, most of us have some desire to win the approval, if not the admiration of others. Jesus wants us to know that we will not earn the approval and admiration, admiration of non-believing people by being his followers. There's no social clout in first century A.D. Palestine and throughout the Roman Empire of that day for being a follower of Jesus, and it's becoming more that way today than it ever has been in the last 
I don't know, 1,500 years probably in the West, if they called him the devil, Beelzebul, and attributed his motivations and actions to evil, if they called him the devil and attributed his motivations and his actions to evil intentions, then he says that his disciples can expect exactly the same treatment. Again, this is verse 24 of Matthew 10 and following. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Now, we just need to speak frankly about this. This is, um, you know, we hear these words from Jesus, and you know, occasionally, you know, as people are lambasting Christians and Christianity, they'll say, why are you so paranoid? Why do you think people aren't going to like you? Well, because Jesus said so. But really, we need to be quite honest about this. There is a growing loathing in polite society and in the media and in the academic community, community for people who are committed biblical followers of Jesus Christ. Back in the day when I used to regularly listen to uh, NPR, and if you do that, good for you, God bless you, and I pray that you, are, uh, that you will have uh, some joy in your life other than that, but um, you know, that you'll find joy and, and your spirits will be lifted and you can sing some hymns or something. But I was always amazed at the unabashed prejudice of the commentators and correspondents against people of genuinely committed Christian faith. They used to employ the term fundamentalist as a term of derision. Back, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you would still hear that. They would employ the term fundamentalist to describe uh, those bad Christians who were bad precisely because they believed all that Jesus stuff and then acted like it. Now that preferred term has been changed, and a new term has been enlisted to create fear and loathing, and that term is Christian nationalist. I was talking to some non-Christian friends just a, a few months ago, and they were genuinely terrified, terrified of Christian nationalism. Now, objectively, nothing has changed, but they've just heard this term over and over again, and I asked them to define their terms, and their definition was ba basically someone who actually means it. Listen, someone who actually means it when they pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is enough to get you branded a Christian nationalist. And I said, well, based on your definition, you realize that you've just described me. Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Just this past May 14th, Christ Church, on Sunday, May 14th, Christ Church, the church uh, I was the rector of back until January of this year, celebrated our second outdoor rogation Sunday. And if you haven't done a rogation day or a rogation Sunday, guys, you've got to do that here at the Abbey. Because, um, you know, one of the things you do is you'll bless the barn swallows or whatever, you know. Now, seriously, it's a, it's a giving thanks of God to God for your community for his creation, you're asking his blessing in favor on agriculture and industry and human enterprise. It's a beautiful, beautiful service. And so we, we, we uh, celebrated our second annual outdoor uh, Rogation Sunday. And on that day, about 170 of us walked in procession through our neighborhood, 
following the cross and offering psalms and literally as we walked through our neighborhood, prayed blessing over our neighbors and over our community. That's what we were out there doing. Those dangerous Christians were out there blessing their neighbors. And after the outdoor Eucharist, we had a pig picking. Yes, sir, we cooked a whole hog and multiple pig shoulders, and we fed the multitudes. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And while we were sitting on the church lawn, enjoying our time of community and hospitality for our whole neighborhood, a middle-aged man in the neighborhood walked by and from the sidewalk began to loudly berate us because of our Christian faith. He wasn't crazy. He was normal in a very secular neighborhood. To him, we represented something dangerous and destructive. So when Jesus sends his followers into the world on mission, and when we are doing kingdom work, sharing the good news, transforming lives, bringing hope and refreshment to the hopeless, don't be shocked and indignant when folks react negatively for your good works. Don't be shocked. You bless your neighborhood, you pray for them, you cook a pig, you know. I mean, it's the perfume of hospitality spread all through the neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing like it. And yet, at least this gentleman felt bold enough to berate us verbally and loudly. People will say bad things about you. People will falsely accuse you. I hate being falsely accused because I give people so many true things that they could accuse me of. This just seems superfluous to falsely accuse me. But it will happen. Jesus says in, um, in Matthew chapter 5, back in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 11, he says this. He says these things are going to happen, but when they happen, don't feel indignant. Don't feel angry. Don't feel upset. Don't get negative. Don't get down in the mouth. He says rejoice. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not because you were stupid or wicked, no, but because of me. Rejoice, Jesus says, when we are being persecuted or falsely accused or insulted because of his name. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. When this happens, it will be a great temptation as the heat gets turned up to call it quits. But Jesus says, do not be afraid and to continue the mission because the truth will ultimately triumph. Don't hold back from talking about Jesus. The truth will come out. Jesus says it in Matthew 10 verse 26. We heard it this morning. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. The truth will come out. God's truth will ultimately prevail. James Russell Loyal stated it with prophetic clarity when he penned those words. You probably remember this poem. Truth forever on the scaffold. Remember this? Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. 
The approval that we need as followers of Jesus Christ is the approval that our Lord Jesus Christ gives us. Seek the right approval. Our one goal should be to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all the approval that we will ever need and it's the one approval that we should be seeking. And then Jesus reorients his disciples to have the right fears. He, does it, he, says, he says, don't fear some things, but you should fear other things. So Jesus reorients his disciples to have the right fears. One of the things that happened to our family years ago when we moved out of an institutional denominational church setting into a missionary setting was that I was harried by fear and anxiety. What if, I, what if I can't make a living for my family? What if we lose everything? What is going to happen to my, my children and my wife? How will I get health care? What about when I get old and I can't work anymore? Well, Jesus knows that our spiritual enemy will use fear as a means of hindering, of crippling our efforts to be about the mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. In response, Jesus says that we need to fear the right things. Don't fear the wrong things, fear the right things. The greatest fear that most of us will have in our lives is the fear of death. The enemy uses that fear to try to silence the gospel. It happens all over the world every day. We just had uh, our, our college, our council of bishops met just this past week, and as they were meeting, there was another attack on a school in Uganda by Islamic extremists. It was a Christian school. This has happened uh, a decade or so prior as well, and uh, multiple uh, young men and, and teachers were killed, and many of the young women were abducted and still are abducted. And the enemy uses that kind of fear of death to try to silence the good news. But brothers and sisters, Jesus reminds us that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Did you know that? Listen, <laughs> listen children. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Jesus has conquered death. It is a defeated enemy. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The thing we ought to fear when faced with the choice between saving our lives or remaining true for Jesus, true to Jesus, is the fear that if we disown Jesus Christ, we will, effect, we will face eternal judgment. Look, you and I, are, are, we're all going to die anyway. And only God has the power over your eternity. So we don't have to fear our future. Because we know who holds our future. The one who has conquered death. God cares about the smallest details of our lives. Nothing is beyond his control. So we don't need to be beset by fear of the things that most people fear. We just need to be afraid of displeasing our Lord by disloyalty. This is what Jesus says. And these are, by the way, the, um, we're not used to hearing this kind of stuff. This is not a, what is this, uh, 
encouraging, uh, what is it, uh, something, something encouraging K-Love. This is not what I, I didn't hear that on K-Love this week. That's right, probably you didn't. But it's in the Bible, and one of the great gifts of our lectionary, what is a lectionary? It's a Bible reading plan for the whole church over the course of three years. One of the great blessings of the lectionary is we don't just stay stuck on positive, encouraging Caleb, but we hear the whole counsel of the Word of God. And we need to hear the whole counsel of the Word of God. And by the way, I do think this is positive and encouraging, ultimately. And here we hear it in, in Matthew 10, are not two, par- uh, not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your heads are numbered, so don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. I know Jesus was chuckling when he said that. You are worth more than many barn swallows. (laughs) And then finally, Jesus urges us to cling to the right loyalties. The God we know in Jesus Christ deserves and requires our ultimate and absolute obedience. As our sole creator and our sole redeemer, he is worthy of our undivided allegiance. We're constantly tempted to compromise our faithfulness by the world and the flesh and the devil. But if we disown Jesus Christ, we will lose our souls. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. For everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. There are always temptations to deny our loyalty to Jesus Christ in every generation, every generation, since our Lord ascended and the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. Today it goes beyond, though, more than mere temptation to an emerging totalitarian and coercive ideology that seeks to compel our allegiance. It's bubbling up all over the once Christian West. We see it. When we're, tempted on, uh, when we're tempted to fudge on our loyalty to Jesus Christ, it helps us to remember the experience of those believers who have suffered greatly for their allegiance to King Jesus and have remained steadfast. I could give you many, many examples of that. But in the midst of rising hostility to our biblical Christian faith, Jesus says loyalty to him, please listen, Jesus tells us that loyalty to him is worth the cost. The reward far outweighs the cost. Remember what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. What we experience in adversity is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul is saying that no matter the suffering, Jesus is worth the cost. Nothing we give up can begin to compare with what we gain with Jesus Christ. Remember I just said that, that I could tell you many, many stories, but let me tell you a recent story. You may remember that Pastor Andrew Brunson, is that name familiar to you, Presbyterian pastor, missionary in Turkey? Pastor Andrew Brunson was falsely accused and imprisoned by the Turkish government from 2016 
to 2018. It was all ultimately because of his effectiveness in missionary work. Pastor Brunson said that he had, now this is important, he said that he had no sense of the presence of God in his two years of captivity. I was reading a, another account, I was re reading Richard Wormbrand's account, and, it, and he said it felt like he was in heaven when he was in that, in that dungeon cell, basically, under a, a communist prison. He, he said there were times were just, uh, at times it was just inexpressible joy. But that was not Pastor Brunson's experience. All he experienced was the silence of God. He was physically, emotionally, and spiritually broken by the persecution. He says he came close to being knocked out of renouncing Christ. And this is why he tells his story. He says, you need to reorient your expectations. He said the first year in that Turkish prison was one of being broken and torn down. The second year, he said, while he still had no sense of God's presence, he said was a year of being rebuilt. And this is what he himself writes about that time. He said, I was singing my heart song every day. Listen to this. I, and this is his song. I want to be found worthy to stand before you on that day with no regrets from cowardice, things left undone. And the second half of that verse says, to hear you say, well done, my faithful friend, now enter your reward. Jesus, my joy, you are the prize I am running for. And as I repeated this day after day, something took root in me, a simple and basic foundational knowing that Jesus is my reward. Pressing into a fear of God, an eternal perspective and looking to heaven changed me over the months. And it built something in me so that when I was put on trial, I spoke these words before the judges and the media in that Turkish courtroom. Blessed, this is, these are his words. Blessed am I because for the sake of Jesus, many people have wronged me have persecuted me, and I am now suffering. Blessed am I because I have been forcibly separated from my wife and children. Blessed am I because I am in prison. I choose willingly to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and by suffering for his sake, I hope to display for everyone his incomparable worth. Thinking this way did not make things easy. Suffering was still painful. I felt grief, intense loneliness, the loss of my family, and I still had feelings of fear. But countering this was a conviction, an insistent, insistent voice saying, you cannot run away. There are great and important things at stake. Stand firm. Friends, the, the feast that we are going to celebrate this morning around this table reminds us that we can lose our homes and our possessions and even our very lives, and yet we are still more than conquerors through him who loves us. He is worth it. Stand firm. He is worth it. Stand firm. By faith, we are victors. By faith we share in his conquest. By faith we are seated with him in the heavenly places. And the meal that we eat this morning sustains us by bringing us again and again into the presence of our faithful God who has conquered the greatest foe. He has conquered death. 
Jesus' real presence is here. His real presence here is the testimony that His Word is trustworthy. The strength we will gain in bread and wine this morning proves that He is trustworthy. And this meal keeps us going until we hear Him say those words that we long for Him to say to us. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Jesus, you are worth it. No matter what happens, you are worth it. Lord, I pray for us that we will walk in joy and in victory, even in the midst of opposition and hostility in the world around us. Lord, don't let us be deceived or be like uh, those false prophets of Jeremiah's time who said, peace, peace, when there, were no, were the, when there was no peace. But let us remember, Lord, the truth that our victory is in Christ and we stand as conquerors in you. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to be faithful and make us fruitful in ministry and mission in our community. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.